Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Hey, good morning. Good morning. It is a Tuesday, the twenty fourth of October, twenty twenty three. Um, but wait just a second, because I got something in my eye. <clears throat> I got something in my eye. I can't. I can't see my notes, and I'm, and I'm in pain. All right. When was the last time you had something in your eye? Mm-hmm. So I am a. Um, I got something in my eye kind of person on a fairly regular basis. Bugs, leaf debris. I don't wear the protective. You know glasses that I should be wearing when I mow and this time of year it's so dry and there's lots of leaves and so frequently have leaf debris in my eyes the occasional eyelash I'm I am a I would say I'm a frequent flyer in the I've got something in my eye category and it's painful um it's you can't do anything else I can't keep doing what I was doing when I've got something in my eye uh, I am a fan of the method of um, not rubbing it, right? Don't rub it. I have rubbed. I have rubbed it in the past, and I have ended up with a scratch on my eye, and that is far worse. That's like constantly having something in your eye. So you know, go and get your hand full of water and wash it out, or get a friend. Get a friend to help you. That is what today's growing your faith verse of the day is all about. It comes from Matthew chapter seven. Again, we are in the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus. And we arrive today at what I think is probably often taught as a passage about hypocrisy, but I want you to consider that it is a passage about getting ourselves ready to help others. So why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Which, by the way, if, you, if you've got something in your eye, you can't ignore it. We all know this. So Jesus is teaching here about something other than ignoring what's in your own eye. So yes, is there a lesson about hypocrisy here? Absolutely. And that one seems very clear. Um, But the truth of the matter is, you can't ignore something that's in your own eye. Like you, it's, it's painful. It's distract. Like literally you can't do anything else until you get that out. So there must be something deeper going on here as well. And so we're going to talk about that in just a moment. So let me start over. Matthew chapter seven, verses three to five. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? but do not notice the log in your own eye. How can you um, say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So it's not about ignoring the fact that your brother's got a speck in his eye. It's, It's just not. It's not about me ignoring the challenge that you're facing to walk by faith. It's not uh, about me just letting you go the way uh, of wherever sin leads you. No, it's about dealing with my own pride that's blinding me first. Specs and logs. You got a speck, I got a log. In order to help you with your speck, I got to deal with my log. So this is about the order of things. This is about dealing 
with with things in priority order. So first, deal with the log in your own eye, which I got to say, you know what? My own selfish desire leads me to deal with the log in my own eye first because it's painful. It's, it's painful. So what is causing you pain? And are you dealing with it? Don't be so outwardly focused until there's an opportunity for you to deal with what's staring you right in the face today. Pride blinds us. And in order to be genuinely helpful to others, we first have to deal with our own blind spots. It's, it's right. It's right for us to be concerned about, you know, what people are doing with their bodies. Sure. But, you know, maybe we ought to take a look in the mirror at our own bodies. Am I treating this body as a temple of the Holy Spirit? Is this a, is this a body in which God is pleased to dwell? Am I, um, am I fueling it and am I exercising it in such a way that it's going to run well for the race set before me? You, you see how the application here, right, to probably every area of life. Do you and I have logs in our own eyes we're not dealing with while we are picking the pepper, you know, the speck out of our brother's eyes? Jesus absolutely intended that we help one another, that we help one another. Um, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, uh, 14 uh, we urge you, brothers, admonish those who are idle, so, you know, if there's a speck of idleness in someone else's life, yeah, go after them and help help them with it. But don't do so without first dealing with whatever your own idleness looks like or your own idol. I know I made a play on words there. <clears throat> Second Timothy 4.2, be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. You we're not supposed to leave people with specks in their eyes. We are, we are intended to repro- reprove, rebuke, and exhort, but... Only after we have been reproved, rebuked, and exhorted. All right. Jesus did not say, ignore the log in your own eye. He also did not say, ignore the speck in your brother's eye. So it's about the order in which we deal with these matters. But deal with them, we must. Let those who have eyes to see, see, and those who are still dealing with a speck or a log, well, let's, uh, let's, let's tend to that in order that we might see more clearly. Our friend Nick Pitts is going to join us next. Um, God is a God of order, not chaos. I mean, literally, God hovers over the chaos before the creation uh, of all things and, um, and says, you know what, let's, let's, let's whip this thing into some shape here and let's bring things into order. God orders our lives. God has a good and orderly design So we're going to talk about what that looks like next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Nick Pitts is back. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement, among other things. You can uh, read what he's thinking and writing about at thebriefing.net. Good morning, Nick. Good morning, Carmen. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. How are things in the world of... um, of of husbandry and parenting well let me tell you the sky even though it's dark right now because it's 608 here in dallas it is <laughs> the outlook is so bright right now 
one, the Texas Rangers are headed back to the World Series, defeating the evil uh, tyrants to the south of Houston Astros last night. Uh, moving on to our potentially, potentially win our first World Series ever. So the outlook is bright here in Dallas. And mom and baby are doing well, sleeping soundly right now. So all is right in the world. Okay. Do we know who the who the Texas Rangers will be playing in the World Series? They will tonight. We'll, we will find out if they'll play either the Phillies from Philadelphia or uh-huh. the Diamondbacks from Arizona. So, oh, okay, all right. So, um, is I let me just confess, I I hadn't been paying attention to baseball. So, um, thank you. I'm now. I feeling. I'm feeling like we've had our sports page read in for the day. Thank you so much. That's <laughs> the NBA. The NBA kicks off tonight. The NHL is going right now. College football is mayhem. I mean, it's just a, it's just uh, a great time to life. One might say that October is potentially the best month of the year. <laughs> one might. I like I like leaf looking in October. I'm a big fan of, okay. of leaves, and I do like all of these other things that you have mentioned as well. So. Um, I would like to talk with you. Let's have a dad talk here. Okay. Let's have a, you know, married guy dad talk. So God is a God of order, not chaos. But my guess is that the introduction of a third person into your marriage has not just brought more order, that there has been some chaos along the way. Is it, am I, am I reading that right? One might be able to suggest the chaos that is exemplified at the dinner table every night right now with the six-month-old. <laughs> but yes, yes, I think that'd be a correct uh, suggestion. Okay, first of all, I just love it that we're that the six-month-old is at the dinner table. Like, right? Does she even sit up yet? Like, this is my ignorance of you know, like you know, if you haven't if you haven't had one in your house recently, you can't remember when they do things. So here's the best. She's just now starting to sit up, but we've got a high chair that essentially has these straps on it um, that help her that just in case she gets too tired and she wants to just fall down or I a little wobbly little keep she's at like the little wobbly stage. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So she uh, oh, yeah. she is sitting up at the table and she is a part of the family and a part of the family conversation when it comes to dinner table matters. I love that. That's so good. That's so good. So God designed human life in such a way that uh, a man and a woman would come together in what we call marriage, and that out of that, God would then produce a family, and that that would be the building block of society. This is God's design, uh, the ordering of family life, the birth, birth and nurture of children, and then as its outgrowth, the, you know, the ordering of culture itself can we talk about that uh, in view of the fact that parents um, across the United States of America are really um, being, what would I say here, um, displaced by the state in terms of the welfare of their own children? Yeah. Uh, so just to, to, lay, to lay the groundwork of where we find ourselves, right, so uh, to help define reality. Right now, it's approximately 41% of kids that are born today are born into single fa- parent families. Um, uh, that number, uh, when you just isolate it to African-Americans, jumps up to 60-odd percent right now. So there is a, there, the current reality right now is that there is not a present father and present mother that have a commitment 
for one another in which a child is born into that family. So that's the reality we face right now. And we also know the benefits of what it looks like from this God-designed family of a mother and father coming together to raise a child or children, right? We, we know it from a uh, sociological perspective, right? The success sequence that's been talked about so much that there's an 8% chance that you'll go into poverty if you follow this sequence of events. One, you graduate from high school. Two, you get a job. Three, you get married. Four, you have a child. If you follow that four, those four sequence, you have an 8% chance of going into poverty. But as we know from the numbers, 40%, 61%, uh, it doesn't appear as though individuals are following that uh, following that movement. But what we know just from a spiritual standpoint too, um, to really tie it back to the biblical narrative is just this rhythm of life where you have a mother that is the praise uh, of her husband and her children because of the work she is doing both inside and outside of the house, right? They're praising her at the city gates to raising up her children and to blessing her household. You have a father from Ephesians 6 that's not exasperating his children to anger, but raising his children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, demonstrating intentionally the uh, the love that Christ showed the church he's showing to his bride and serving and loving his children, training them up, shooting them like arrows towards the glory of God so that they might be not only uh, blessings in his sight, but also blessings to this world. There's these rhythms and patterns that Unfortunately, today, just based on the numbers of what we see and based on what we continue to read about, uh, is just becoming more and more the outliers. Yeah, and I think when you juxtapose those those current stats, like, you know, the current reality that 41% of kids in the United States are born to a single mom and more than 60% of African-American kids, um, you're, you're talking about a reality that is now so far from God's design and ordering for human life, that then when we get to, you know, conversations that are further down the road about how our kids are being educated in the public school system or what, you know, what a particular state might be doing in terms of what the state views as in the best welfare of a child versus how the Bible describes, um, you know, the the intent for a child to be raised, um, you know, by their parents— and as those parents are following um, the biblical uh, understanding of gender and sexuality and, you know, and everything else, uh, we, we just live in complex times. And I think that we have to keep returning to what is God's actual design for things? Like we have to keep reminding ourselves of the good, the beautiful and the true, because we are awash in a culture that just increasingly does not lead us to believe those things. Oh, yeah. I, and I am. I'm fully convinced. This is me recognizing that I am so grateful to live in a country in which I am given the opportunity of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But that pursuit of happiness is such an expansive term. It can mean a variety of different things to different people. And my happiness might look a little bit different than the happiness of my neighbor. And I want to allow my neighbor to pursue after their happiness, but I want to show them a better happiness uh, of one that uh, it's like the man that finds the treasure hidden in a field, which uh, he sells everything that he has in order to purchase the field. We sold everything we have to run after Jesus. And what does that look like in a very pluralistic and diverse society for me to run after Jesus and be one increasingly purposeful with every little thing that I do 
both inside and outside my household and how I love my family. I want to be Mm. from the conversations that I have at the dinner table to even being at a dinner table and not around the TV um, when when we're eating um, to how I'm interacting at a ball field to how I'm, I mean, even how I'm watching the Rangers game or college football or basketball, et cetera, with my family and my friends. I want to be intentional with the way and redeem that time. It's not a call to withdraw from those things, but to redeem how I do those things. And then in turn, I want to be reflective and understand that there is a world that has sees a different pattern, uh, a way of life, of ordering their life as they pursue after their happiness. And I want to create a more compelling example that not only, um, um, again, glorifies God, but also leads to the deep enrichment of my soul, knowing that I'm, I'm doing what I was made to do and how I was made to do it. So good. We're going to continue our conversation with Nick Pitts here in just a moment. Uh, Research is telling us that religion actually strengthens our families, gives us hope, and provides unity. We're going to unpack that uh, here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, this is Carmen from the Mornings with Carmen show. Who's your pastor? This is Pastor Appreciation Month, and so I want you to think about who is your pastor or who are your pastors? Who shepherds your heart? Who gives you wise and faithful counsel? Who comes alongside to encourage you as you walk difficult stretches of the road? Who opens the word of God to you in ways that actually help you live into the character and ways of God? Who are your pastors? Do they know it? It's possible you have lots of answers to this question, that maybe there is somebody who's preaching or teaching you listen to regularly. They shape your scripture engagement, but they don't know it. I'm encouraging you to tell them. Whoever it is that comes to mind when I say, who is your pastor? I want you to reach out to them this month. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. So encourage those who pastor you. Oh, and if you are a pastor, thank you. Bless you. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Our friend Nick Pitts is here. We're continuing our conversation. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. You can check out what he's writing at thebriefing.net. Nick, I found this on studyfinds.org, and it is about current research on how religion strengthens family, gives us hope, and provides um, for a, a, a strength of unity among us. Can you read us in on this Brigham Young University study? Uh, it's the best. It's the best. It's what we always have known to be true, the power of hope, right? Uh, so as mm-hmm. those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, we know from uh, whether it's uh, Hebrew 6 about the, the hope that is an anchor, whether it's in Peter, the living hope that we have, it's this beauty of hope that we have in Jesus. And now we're starting to see how it reverberates, even in the research that we're continuing to find. And so this study out of B- BYU talks about there's four different themes of hope that's found from religious practices among families. Um, that's that's kind of a common theme throughout it all. It's prompting hope. It's inspiring hope. Hope becomes a familial trait, not despair. And it's building this resilience. And it just yet again is showing us the, the power of not only just religious, uh, not only just claiming a religion uh, in the family, but practicing that religion. And as uh, again, those who are following up to the way of Jesus, it's just another reminder that not only that it leads to the fullness of life, but also leads to the joy of our soul and the glory of his name. 
I want to unpack these themes a little bit. So let me just um, read um, just one thing from this research here. Um, Faith and religious belief prompt hope. And so I want you to just think for a moment, um, what prompts hope in your life? And what prompts hope in your family? And how is that hope sustained? Um, And so how does faith feed hope? I think that's a good question. And then, you know, I guess the ancillary to that would be, why would we be surprised when people in the culture who have no faith, literal nuns, also have no hope? Um, the connection between faith and hope is real, and um, and obviously uh, we'll bring the third party into that um, and, and talk about love as well. Religious practices inspire hope. Um, this this rhythm of being engaged in a pattern of life that um, you know we would say is a rhythm of religious practice. You talked about you know sitting at sitting at a dinner table together. That's going to be the the practice that your daughter grows up with. That is going to be a rhythm in her life that she's going to be surprised to find every kid uh, is didn't grow up that way. Right. Um, And that's going to be foundational for her. Let's talk about the religious practices that inspire hope. Oh yeah. Here's one of the things that I've, I've been captivated by Um, one uh, from a practice standpoint, it's, it's, being reminded of the promises of God through the reading of his word or through the reminders of his teaching. Uh, it's, it's the songs that we sing, uh, even just sing over her right now while we're, while we're bathing her or while we're getting ready for the day or my favorites of just, of just putting on her little onesie and just forcing her little arm up uh, <sighs> to try to get it through the hole in the shirt. It's those little, don't the arms and the that, legs, don't they all, aren't they all moving at all the time? Oh, like they're, how they're, like it's like how do you achieve how do you achieve the onesie like i isn't the, the isn't the leg coming out at the same time you're trying to put the arm in and aren't they, isn't there like it's like a whole like it's like a wiggle contest oh yeah and she now is she now is getting to the point where she loves just to stretch her legs out completely <sighs> straight and makes <laughs> it uh, <laughs> uh, so she's a struggled uh person uh struggled woman like her mother and like myself so thoughts and prayers for me um, but you know what I was thinking, Carmen, while you were just talking, I, I thought for the when you talked about the religious nun, uh, and I just think about the uh, just a cultural, just a, a neighbor, a good neighbor that we've got that all too often we're captivated by this thing called recency bias. That that's why that's why if it bleeds, it leads. That's why we're so prone to despair in our culture today because we just all suffer, regardless of whether you follow a religion or not. You, we all suffer from recency bias. Bad news always comes to front of mind. There's just something in our brain psychology where bra- bad news not only is harder for us to forget, but it's also triggers us most quickly when, when we encounter a difficulty or a disruption of equilibrium. We all suffer from recency bias. But for those who have ears to hear, those who are following after Jesus, this hope thing is just persistent in our life because we we are reminded of the one who started a good work, sees it to completion, the one who's who's for us, who can be against us, the one who's going to supply our every need in Christ Jesus. So recency bias would say that I'm never going to get that job that I really need right now or things are never going to get better, or that family members never going to come back, or this problem is always going to persist because all they, it just can be so easy just to look back and look around and just despair and lament that things will never get better. 
for the Christian, what we have is this hope through the songs we sing, the practices that we follow, that we are reminded about a God that is not going to leave us or forsake us, that has plans to prosper us. And that prosperity might look different in certain seasons, but that prosperity is guaranteed because it's tr- it's tied to a hope that perseveres through all things because he who started the good work sees it to completion. It's so good. It's so good. Nick, blessings, brother. Blessings uh, on you, on your uh, on your family, on the work that God has set before you today. Um, thank you for spending part of it with us. We we treasure it. So good to be with you. And let's go, Rangers. All right, go, Rangers. Hey, what is your hope built on? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. What are you building your hope on? Are you building it on something that is sure and certain? Um, and are you in any way feeling hopeless today? Well, let's return to some of the rhythms that we know, some of the practices that we know that inspire hope. Listen to some good Christian music. Um, Get yourself into the Word of God. Um, Pray. Ask others to pray with you. Go to a service of worship. Talk with somebody. Reach out to somebody and just say, hey, I am... I need somebody to walk with me today. I'm I'm feeling hopeless. I need to be re- I need to be reminded um, of God's faithfulness, His goodness, and His grace. Let's walk by faith today, and let's do it with each other. Um, our friend um, uh, Luke Moon is going to join us next. We're going to pivot here and return to you know the, the the conversation about things going on in the larger world. Let me read you in on this. Um, there's a there's a man whose name is Mossab Hassan Youssef. He is the son of one of the founding members of Hamas. And um, in response to the atrocities of October the seventh, he told a reporter this: "I was born at the at the heart of Hamas. I know them very well. They do not care for the Palestinian people. They do not regard the human life." He went on to explain, Hamas is not a national movement. Hamas is a religious movement with a goal to establish an Islamic state. He went on to say, Hamas does not serve the Palestinian people. Hamas serves Iran. They are using the Palestinian people as human shields. Which leads me to wonder and ask, why are there so many pro-Palestinian advocates in the West supporting Hamas? Why um, are we seeing... um, uh, Uh, not only on college campuses, but why are we seeing across cities around the world pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas activism? And why are we not hearing the whole story? And why are we not hearing the word terrorist or terrorism? Mm -hmm. All of that up next with our friend Luke Moon. I just confess, I've I've literally wanted to call um, Luke every single day uh, in the past two weeks and check in. Um, and the good news is, the Philos Project has been offering really wonderful resources and um, and all kinds of um, of opportunities to listen to them, talk with one another. And so, I want you to check all of that out. PhilosProject.org. Tons of great resources and an invitation as well for this coming Thursday. So, Luke, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I have been, 
I've been paying attention, but, you know, I've also been living my life. And so um, I think that because you have so many friends in the Middle East and so many friends uh, in Israel, I just want to check in first and just say, you know, like, how are you doing? And then maybe how are you processing what's happening? Well, I'm uh, I tell people I'm I'm tired, but not weary, you mm. know, because there's that verse, uh, do not grow weary of doing good. So that's what I'm hanging on to. Uh, yeah, I've been, you know, it's been 12 hour days since October 7th, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it, yeah, there's a lot of, um, a lot of friends I have there, a lot of friends in the region. Um, you know, some friends, uh, aren't so friendly to me right now also, you know, so that's, that's mm-hmm. what happens when there's a war. You know, I, I can imagine, you know, this happens in, in every war where, you know, there's there's a point, brothers brothers against brothers, you know. So that happens as well. Um, I'm sure that you already have um, information from, you know, Christians in some quarters as well as obviously uh, Israelis, um, Jews in particular, um, it's. I think it's important for people to remember that, like, not every person who lives in Israel is Jewish. Like, so one of the things Jim and I were talking about last night was the incredible hospitality that we enjoyed when we were in Israel, and and so maybe um, give us a little bit of a window um, into the reality in Israel, just w- when things are normal, because things aren't normal right now. But when things are normal, there is this um, this free exchange among people from lots of different backgrounds and worldviews yeah. mixed together. Yeah. No, one of my, one of my favorite places in, in, in Israel, I take people to every time there's a place in the old city where on Friday morning, uh, you know, the Muslims with their Muslim outfits will be walking to Haram al-Sharif, which is what they call the Temple Mount. And then on Friday evening will be the, Jews, you know, a lot of them Haredi, a lot of them black hats. Um, they'll be walking to on that same road. They'll be walking to the Western Wall, and then for about a hundred feet, the Via della Rosa is on that same road. And pilgrims, uh, people who have come from around the world uh, to walk the path that Jesus walked on His Passion, um, they're walking that same road. And, you know, I, I stop people and say, hey, you know, what do you see? You, you, what you don't see is, you know, like if you read the news, it would be, you know, everybody up to their ankles in blood. But that's not what you see. And, and people just getting along. And mind you, that I also point out the fact that there is a police force right on that intersection as well. And, and I think that's important because, you know, pluralism, religious liberty that type of thing doesn't come about necessarily altruistically, right? It's actually mm-hmm. a principle that needs to be enforced. It's, it's strange that like nonviolence and pluralism or religious liberty is enforced by a gun, but it's the truth, right? Like that's a, like people kind of have to be, there's, there's some that just don't want it and they're willing to fight to make sure, you know, there is only one way. Um, and, they need to be kind of marginalized in a bigger society, 
I think one of the problems is that is there there really in 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 Gaza there isn't religious liberty. I mean, there's there's seven hundred Christians in Gaza out of out of two million people. Mm-hmm. Um, that basically, I'm pretty sure that makes it one of the most homogeneous places on earth. Mm-hmm. And and yet, you know, it's like that's that can't be any kind of model because I think that's what that's part of the problem is like they have no interaction with people apart from other, you know, Muslims, then, you know, it does breed a certain kind of, um, you know, anger and hostility towards the other. If you don't ever, if you never interact with any, mm-hmm. then you don't like, you don't get to humanize anybody. And I think that's part of the problem. I mean, in Israel, you have, you have, you know, Jews and Arabs and Druze and Armenians and Circassians and Ahmadiyya Muslims and there's Sumerians and there's different kinds of all of those, right? Not even not all the Arabs are the same kind of Arab and not all the Jews are the same kind of Jews and not all the like, you know, there's Bedouins and there's just a lot of variety. And because of that, like it, it, you don't get quite the hostility that you do get in the more homogenous places. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday was the 40th anniversary of the bombing that um, killed American Marines in Beirut. And um, I believe it was the first time that at least the U.S. military was aware of and became then very concerned with uh, Iran's use of proxies to yeah. attack Western interest and and Israel. Um, and so could we do a little primer on all the various Iranian proxies in the Middle East? I know it's a long list and we don't have to go into them deeply, but could you just survey for us? We feel like we are now familiar with the word Hamas um, and operating specifically in Gaza. But then when we had this bombing of the uh of the parking lot at the um hospital which is attributed to a rocket fired by a different Iranian proxy also in Gaza known as the Palestinian Islamic Jihad I got to tell you like that was news to me I'm like I thought it was Hamas and now we got these other guys so can you give us a primer on the various Iranian proxies in the Middle East yeah, I mean, they're, I'm going to butcher their names because I'm not. It's the, okay. Uh, no, well, there's not, not a. There's not a. No, no one listening is going to send you a bad report card. Oh well, now that you put them onto it, they might. <laughs> um, no, you have Hamas in in Gaza and Islamic Jihad in Gaza. Both actually, both are in Gaza and the West Bank. Um, and and it's interesting because they're they're actually Sunni. Uh, which is not the same kind of what's called denomination as as Iran, and yet because they have the kind of same goal, they they get some they get the cash right. Uh, and then in the northern part of Israel, north of Israel, uh, in Lebanon, you have Hezbollah, and Hezbollah is a Shia militia, and Hezbollah fighters. I mean, basically, they control probably the bottom third like total control of the bottom third of, of, of Lebanon, places like 
uh, if you in your Bible, Tyre and Sidon, uh, both of those are in uh, Hezbollah strongholds. Um, I mean, they, Hezbollah really controls like, Lebanon at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, but you then in Syria, you have groups like the man, I'm going to so butcher this uh, Zaya Baruna. Uh, brigade and the Fatayura brigade those are they were fighters in Syria from other countries so mm. the first one was Pakistani Shia um and the other is Afghani Shia both fighting in Syria for uh the Assad regime then in Iraq th- there are a ton I mean, there's, I, I mean, I don't want mm-hmm. to butcher all the names, but there's just there about five or six of them. They're all basically, you know, combinations of domestic Shia fighter groups. Uh, you know, one of the big groups that was really a thorn in the side of the Americans was the Badr Brigade. I don't know if people remember, mm-hmm. like they were basically around Baghdad and it, it was really like it was part of the, you know the evolving response the Americans had in in Iraq largely had to do with what our relationship was like with with the Badr uh, clan, if you will. Really, it's like a big family, and they all tend to like you know it's it's a family plus friends fight, right? um, you know. And then and then in Yemen, there's this you know, there's a civil war in Yemen, um, and the Houthis are on the side of Iran and the Houthis have launched missiles, cruise missiles at, um, at Israel that have been stopped by, by American warships. Actually, uh, this week they're trying to get in on this. Um, and then in Bahrain, there's some it's there in Bahrain. They're not, they're not necessarily, um, uh, they're not, they're not active as a as a terrorist organization, but they're they're like they're waiting around, kind of thing. Um, yeah, Iran has has is a big big sponsor of this stuff, and the you know the fact that Biden administration has taken kind of the foot off the the neck of the Iranian regime has left us with this kind of you know constellation of organizations all of which are committed to spreading Shia Islam violently. And it's, it's a, it really is a, it's a big problem. Um, you know, and, and the reason why the Saudis and the UAE and, you know, the other countries of the Abraham Accords were getting on board with, with Israel was because they didn't have the same level of like kind of, uh, guerrilla fighters all over the region. I mean, there is like some of the Sunni constellations you have, you know, you have Al Qaeda and then you have, I mean, I mean, Islamic Jihad is a Sunni because so, so they could be, I mean, they probably get money from both sides if when they're fighting, you know, against Israel, but when they're fighting, they'll fight each other too. Um, mm-hmm. And all these groups will fight each other. Um, you know, it's a, it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of, uh, you know, try and give an analogy, you know, American gang, you know, Crips and Bloods kind of thing. Like, 
you know, except they're big, you know, yeah. thousands, thousands of people. But yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, the Northern front of Israel is, is heating up, but it's at a low, you know, it's, it's, it's low. Um, they are closing the, the Beirut airline airport is closing quickly. There's a lot of flights that are no longer available. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it could be a two front war here. So. We're going to um, we're going to continue our conversation with Luke Moon here in just a moment. If you've got specific questions you're hoping I'm going to ask him, you can always text me 877-933-2484. I am going to pivot from uh, a primer on um, all these various Iranian proxies, including Hamas, to a conversation specifically about the term Palestinian. Um, because many of you have been asking about this. Help us understand what this term means who this refers to, um, how it is or isn't distinct from Hamas. So all of that, we're going to have a little primer here on the word Palestinian. Up next, here on Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up, they come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. All right, uh, you and I know that beneath every headline and beneath every conversation, there is something deeper going on. We pull the theological threads forward all the time. Um, One of the people and one of the organizations very, very gifted at doing this when we're talking about the Middle East and we're talking about the the theologies of the different groups of people represented in the Middle East, uh, Luke Moon would be one of those people and the Philos Project would be that organization. And so I want you to check out The Deep Map, which is a new podcast by the Philos Project. Um, check that out. I've been listening to every episode and I've been um, edified. I have learned a lot. Luke is uh, is on the Deep Map podcast on some occasions, um, but it always features our friend Robert Nicholson as well. So, uh, Luke, let's unpack the term Palestinian. Let me let me just brief people in here for just a moment. We um, we have one former U.S. congressman, Justin Amash, um, who was the first Palestinian-American to serve in the U.S. Congress. And um, notably, he announced on Twitter um, a, a few days ago that members of his extended family were among those killed in the blast at the Orthodox Church in Gaza. 
um, where nearly half of the Christian population of Gaza was sheltering. So we had Pastor Hannah on last week, and he talked about um, the, the those, those churches and who was in there. And so we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. You've also not heard a lot about this in the um, mainstream media because, well, people aren't too concerned that Christians are dying in the midst of all of this. Um, we have a current member of Congress of Palestinian descent, a representative from Michigan, Rashida Tlaib, and she is unwilling to um, support the United States assessment that the explosion last week at the Baptist Hospital in Gaza originated with Islamic jihadists and not Israel. And so that is what's going on. But that's where the term Palestinian keeps coming up. We see it in these pro-Palestinian demonstrations and protests. So, Luke, what does the term Palestinian mean? Well, I mean, to be to be go back to its origin, actually Philistine. That's where it comes from. Uh, basically, when when the Romans were just done with the Jews back in like one, I think one thirty four is when they were like, I've had enough of you people. <laughs> they basically renamed the what was the province of Judea under the Roman Empire. They named it uh, Philistine, Philistia. Actually, that's what they was in Latin. And so it became Palestine, and it was Palestine um, all the way up to uh, all all through all of the you know the, the Romans and the Byzantines, and then the Muslims, and then the Crusaders, and then right all all the way up until the Ottomans were the last. Well, the Ottomans and then the British. So, you know, in the in let's say pick a date, nineteen thirty six, uh, it was British mandate Palestine. Uh, so there would have been Jews living in the land at that point in history would have been called Palestinian Jews. Um, the uh, the newspaper uh, was you know. The Palestinian Post was a was a was a Jewish uh, newspaper, um, and so when when it became Israel, actually most Palestinians at that point didn't actually be like identify as Palestinians; they identified as as Arabs, mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't really until the movements in the sixties particularly in 1964, the establishment of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, you had Arabs beginning to take on uh, like a more nationalistic identity, national identity. Um, and that uh, continues up until this day. But its, origi- its origins is in, um, it, it comes from Palestine, or sorry, Philistine. There's no P in Arabic. And so, actually, I, I just sent you, Carmen, a picture that I took when I was in Israel last. It was just before, actually, it was, it was um, I was in Israel just before the conflict. Um, and I was riding around in my rental car, and for whatever reason, my, my Android Auto wouldn't connect. And so I was, like, flipping through the channels. And the, the radio station that came up was... Literally, it says in in English letters, Philistine. Um, And I'm like, wow, that's like F-A-L-A-S-T-I-N. And I was like, wow, that that's 
there is a way to look at this conflict as, I mean, I do think that, that Israel today is the same people, the same land, the same, mm-hmm. like, I, I, when Cana, I see because the other, because, right, we could, we could refer to the same land as Canaan, promised land, Israel, holy land. It's, it's we all could. the same. It's all. Yeah, and so when we talk about people who see this as a contested land and why these individuals who identify as Palestinian want the land from the river to the sea, which would mean driving the Jews into the sea, which is the goal, um, yeah. that, that is why. It's because it's the same land, the land that we would call the promised land, the land of Cana, which we would also call the land of Israel or Israel and Judah. It's, it's the same land. And, it is, and it, yeah. it's also, though, like, you know, it's, it's, you could look at this as the continuation of the conflict between the Philistines and the Israelites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Honestly, you could. And actually, I read an article like a couple weeks ago where somebody was making the case based on DNA, mm. actually, that because wow. I mean, the Philistines, the land of the Philistines, actually, they wanted that the, they they actually lived on the along the sea. They were the they they controlled the, the cities of the Philistines was Gaza. Ashkelon, Ashkelon and Ashdod, which are mm-hmm. both, Ashkelon is, is right there. Ashdod is right there. Gaza is right there. And those were the lands of the Philistines. Uh, the cap, uh, some of the capitals is Philistines. No, we got to are- leave it. All right. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, Click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.